don't think optimistically, best case scenario, we shouldn't have things pop up. There's not going to be a kitchen fire. We probably aren't in a flood zone, so that won't happen. Tornadoes never come through this area. (laughs) Just expect that all of that is going to happen and have adequate reserves to cover it. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E. You're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Actively Passive Investing Show. As always, I am your co-host with Travis Watts. Travis, how's it going? Hey, thrilled to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us again. Thank you also, Best Ever listeners, for joining us. And today, we are going to talk about the three immutable laws of real estate investing. So Travis just told me beforehand that he just came across this article. And this is something that's been up on our website for, uh, gosh, it's 2016, probably, in the middle of the economic expansion. And we've kind of reiterated this point throughout the past five or so years after the different elections and after the COVID pandemic hit. But right now, since we're, I guess, technically maybe still in a recession, we thought this would be a really good topic to bring up 
And we also haven't talked about it from the perspective of passive investors either. I'm mostly focused on it from an active perspective. So we're going to go over these three immutable laws of real estate investing are. But first, as always, Travis is going to let us know why we are covering this. And then I'll kind of also go into a quick little myth that people have when they think about investing in real estate. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I think you did a good job covering why we're covering it. But yeah, that's my confession is <laughs> this has been out there for years and years. And I've read so many of the blogs and of course, the books. I'm sure I've skimmed across this, but it really just sunk in for some reason this week. I came across it written years ago. And I thought this is really a foundational concept that everybody needs to be aware of active or passive, really, but I was looking at it through the lens of being a passive investor. Really want to share and reiterate, even if you're listening today and you've heard this before in some other fashion, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into it. I want to depict and share a few stories of how this has been true for me and my own experience. If I'm not mistaken, Theo, you know better than I, but I believe this is really comprised of Joe interviewing thousands of different investors and putting together the most successful three points, basically, to investing in real estate. So for any regard, these are things I've followed myself, is things I firmly believe in, and they're just laws or rules to follow, if you will. Good for both sides of the coin. So that's it. What's the myth that you want to cover? So from the perspective of the active syndicator, one goal is obviously to make money for you, but the overall goal is at all times is to not lose your money. At the very least, to conserve that initial capital. If something happens to the deal or to the market, at the very least, you'll still get your equity back. That's the number one rule of investing. I think that's like Warren Buffett's number one rule for investing is capital preservation, right? And so in order to do that, the syndicate is focused on the different things that could happen to the investment that would result in you losing your money. So in carbon syndications, the three main risk points are going to be the business plan, the market, and then the team. So the team could mess up and lose your money. It could be a bad market and you could lose your money, or it could be the wrong business plan or the business plan fails and you can lose your money. And so the focus is to be on, well, what are they doing in order to minimize risks in those three areas? Now, when it comes to the market, that is probably the least risky point. Mind market, I mean the actual location, because you can make money investing in any market. People have invested in New York or in the middle of nowhere in Iowa and have made money investing in real estate. As long as it obviously has some of the right metrics, and Travis and I have talked about this on the show before, how to evaluate the GP's market. So I'm not going to focus on that one as much. And obviously, there's the team investing with the right GP. We also talked about that. And the other one is going to be the business plan. So why is it that one apartment syndication deal can do really well in the exact same market following the exact same business plan, maybe by the exact same team, and another one doesn't do very well? And it comes down to, as Travis said, these three points are going to go over. So these three points are things that Joe has learned from his experience and from interviewing people that allow people to be successful regardless of where they invest, regardless of what they invest in, or if they didn't do well, here are the things that they realized that they should have done differently. So at the end of the day, this idea, go back to the myth of it's all about the location. It's all about investing in their perfect market. It's helpful. It's beneficial. But at the end of the day, any operator following any business plan is not going to be successful just because they invest in some market that the rents are supposed to grow by 10%, right? There's other factors involved. 
And the one we're going to focus on today is going to be the actual business plan. Exactly. And I've shared that story before on our show, Theo, of where I was an LP and a deal with a syndicator early on, bought a really good deal, good price, good market, et cetera. But unfortunately, this particular operator couldn't execute their business plan, made a lot of mistakes in regard to that. And it was just one of those situations where, yeah, the market definitely helped boost the rents, helped boost the equity, but it really was to no avail of the operator. So we exited early. It was kind of an unfortunate situation, but yeah, markets are important. Location was important. But at the end of the day, none of us got our projected returns or what we hope to get out of that deal. So great points. So the first law that we're going to cover from Joe is buy for cash flow. This is obviously my biggest message to the world. Any podcast I'm a guest on, any blog I ever do, it's always about cash flow. That's my passion. That's what's made the biggest impact in life, which is why I resonate so much, especially with this particular law. So it's the opposite of what most people think of when you say investing or I'm an investor. In fact, I remember when I worked in the oil industry, there was this guy that came up to me. Somehow he found out that I was buying single family rentals and he goes, you're an investor, right? (laughs) Very intense guy. I said, well, yeah, I buy real estate. I buy rental. He goes, yeah, I get it. He goes, buy low, sell high. It's pretty simple. (laughs) He walks away and I thought, well, not exactly. In my opinion, that's pretty much just wrong because Mm -hmm. yeah, you can make money doing that, but I wasn't trying to buy low and sell high. I had buy and hold rentals that time and I was doing vacation rental stuff and and things like this. So just kind of funny that think of it as the opposite of appreciation. Natural appreciation is going to come from that story I just shared with that LP deal where people are moving to an area, inflation is growing, expanding, employment, wages, that's going to lift values naturally. But that's pretty risky because mostly that's out of our control. We can't really control what the Fed's going to do, what interest rates are going to do. Think about Texas right now. Everyone's moving to Texas, right? Well, what if Texas this year comes out and says, you know what? We're implementing a 10% state income tax. Well, (laughs) that's pretty much going to change a lot of stuff over there about why people are moving there. So things can evolve. Things can change out of your control. That's why I'm a big fan of forced appreciation, which is value-add investing, where you're buying something that's outdated, that needs fixing up, and you're forcing the value back into it. Therefore, you can justify lifting the rents, et cetera, in terms of that. So another quick story about cash flow is when I used to buy single family rentals, I intended to do a flip one time. This is one of my first flips. And I was into the budget initially. And what I thought would cost me maybe 10 grand was already at 16 grand. And I thought, this isn't going to work out. The numbers aren't going to work. By the time I sell and I pay the commissions, I pay taxes, et cetera, I'm not even going to make a return. And the only thing that saved me was cash flow. I pivoted my business plan. I said, you know what? I'm going to make it a rental. And that's going to give me time to start collecting money so that I can build back the cash reserves that I wasn't going to get. So that was really a lifesaver and a game changer for me to realize how impactful cash flow really can be. So at the end of the day, buy for cash flow. As long as you've got a supply of people willing to rent, you don't really have to care too much about what the market is doing. The market's really hot. The market's declining. The market's stagnant. Hey, man, if you got monthly income rolling in at the end of the day, like we talked about on our last podcast, 
just to use simple numbers, I take 25K and put it into a deal. That deal produces 25K in cash flow. I take that 25K and do another deal. I'm reducing my risk as I go along that daisy chain because my real risk is in that first investment. As long as that's stabilized and cash flowing, I really have little to worry about. So kind of my long-winded rant there, but that's law number one, buy for cash flow. Yep. And your last example is the perfect reason why. And so you buy for cash flow, you can still have a potential value add play or a potential market-driven appreciation play, but that's more of like a cherry on top, so to speak. It's cash flowing, that's the cake. And then if you're able to force appreciation or if the market were to increase the value of the property or the rents naturally, then that's great. You make even more money. But if that doesn't happen, you're still going to hit your projections. You're still going to make money. And if the market tanks, you're still not going to lose your money as long as you're following law number two. So all these laws, they all come together. So you can't just do one, you have to do all three. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. All three of these come together because Travis said, well, as long as there's a steady supply of renters, if you buy for cash flow, it's okay because you don't really care what the market's doing because you're not going to be forced to sell. As long as you also follow Walmart number two, which is making sure you're securing long-term debt. So whenever you're investing in a syndication deal, unless you're an institution or a hedge fund, you're going to get financing on the property. You're going to get Freddie Mac agency debt in order to fund the majority of the project costs. So usually the syndicators are going to raise 20 to 30% of the project costs from limited partners. And then the rest of the money comes from a bank. Now, the law here is to secure debt as at least twice as long as the business plan. So let's take a value-add business plan as an example. Let's say the plan is to renovate 100% of the interiors over a 24-month period and increase the rents by $100 per unit. So the business plan is two years. It takes two years to renovate all the units. So when the syndicates are going out there securing debt, they've got a couple of options. One option is they can just find a two-year bridge loan that's going to include all those renovation costs, which allows them to raise less money. But the problem is, is well, what happens if they aren't able to complete the renovations in two years? What happens if they complete the renovations, but they overestimated their rental premiums? What happens if, you know, let's say a pandemic hits or something two years in and they are unable to hit those rental premiums, right? Well, if they secured a two-year bridge loan, then they have no choice but to sell or refinance. And if they can't refinance into agency loan because the deal isn't stabilized and they can't refinance into a bridge loan because what happened with the COVID pandemic, bridge lenders stopped lending, well, then they have to sell. And well, what if they can't find a seller? They're going to sell for a loss, they're going to get all your money back, or they're going to be foreclosed on, you're not going to get any of your money back. And so in order to avoid all of those potential situations, their law is to secure debt that's twice as long as whatever the plan is to do any sort of refinance or sell or something. So in that example, they secure a loan that's at least four years. So that if something happens in year one or year two, and they don't hit their projections, then they can just wait, keep collecting the cash flow that they're making, make partial payments or no payments, but not be forced to do anything with the property or the loan. As I said, refinance, be forced to refinance, but they can't and sell or get foreclosed on. So at least two years is ideal. Some syndicators will see that they'll have a five-year loan or a seven-year loan or a 10-year loan or a 12-year loan or even a 30-year loan. And then the other option would be a bridge loan. Well, maybe they have to get a bridge loan for some reason. Well, if that's the case, then they need to have the ability to extend that loan out to 
again, that 2X period. And so traditionally, bridge loans are about three years, but you can get multiple one-year extensions. So ideally, they have a 3-1-1. So three with the ability to have two one-year extensions to hit that five-year mark. That's two times the business plan. Exactly. And what we're really talking about, Theo, in all of this, I'm just zooming out as you were speaking. I'm thinking all this really is, is reducing risk and being conservative. And that's the foundation to me anyway of investing. Like you pointed out, Warren Buffett's first rule, don't lose money. Well, yeah, it makes sense, right? (laughs) It's pretty obvious. Who wants to lose money? So all of this is helping folks active or passive not lose money. That's all we're really talking about. So to that point, law number three is have adequate cash reserves. Sometimes I like to draw parallels either to stocks or or the stock market. In this case, what I think about is just personal finance. You hear all the time from the Dave Ramseys of the world or the Susie Ormans or whatever, have six to 12 months of cash reserves on hand in case you lose your job, et cetera, so you don't have to lose your house or not make your mortgage or rent and these types of things. Same concept here. When you're underwriting and you're buying a property, I don't care if we're talking about single family, multifamily, have cash reserves on hand to cover the unexpected expenses, which are going to happen. I just used that example of my fix and flip earlier where I budgeted 10 but it took 16. Well, fortunately, I had the extra six sitting around because I thought, yeah, that's a possibility. I'm going to need some extra cash for something. I did. What if I hadn't had it? I could have been in a really bad situation. So when you can't cover your unexpected expenses, speaking to syndications, the theme of our show, you're either going to have to do a capital call, which is collecting more money from your investors. That's never a good thing. First of all, you don't want that on your track record as a GP. Second, what investor wants to have to fork up money unexpectedly for a deal that they shouldn't have had to do that for? That's not a good thing. Or if you don't do that, you might have to, your point earlier, sell that property at a loss. No one wants that either. You don't want that on your track record and and LPs certainly don't want that. Or you may have to just give the property back to the bank, whether that's in a short sale, a, a foreclosure, whatever. It's not going to be good. These are not good options. So what saves you? Having adequate cash reserves. So let's get specific with it. I think Joe points out a couple things, and maybe this has changed because this is a 2016 article. I don't know if he's got a different view on it, but still the concept remains the same. Have $250 per unit in cash reserves per year. That's one thing. Additionally, you might want to have an upfront operating account of one to 5% of what the purchase price is. So none of these things have to be exact. You might have a different take, a different opinion, a different percentage, a different dollar amount. Fact is have adequate cash reserves. Don't think optimistically, best case scenario, we shouldn't have things pop up. There's not going to be a kitchen fire. We probably aren't in a flood zone, so that won't happen. Tornadoes never come through this area. (laughs) Just expect that all of that is going to happen and have adequate reserves to cover it. And I'll share with you one other story. I was actually in a syndication deal that we had to do a capital call, unfortunately, for all of these reasons that we're talking about. And it was unfortunate. It ended up being, I think it was 10% of what we had originally put in. So you think, okay, I put in a hundred grand or whatever. I don't know what I put into that deal. I can't remember, but let's just say for simplicity, that's what I did. So all of a sudden you get this email or this phone call. We need you to put up 10 grand ASAP. Can you do it this week? That's never a good call. 
even if you have the 10 grand, that's not what I wanted to do with it. Maybe I had other plans for that money. So it does happen. It really does. So something to think about and pretty simple in concept, adequate cash reserves, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. So now the only real change, at least as we're recording this, would be that the syndicates are probably going to be on the higher end of the upfront reserves number towards the 5% because of the additional reserves that lenders are acquiring right now. For some loans, it's up 18 months of principal and interest. It's a lot, whereas usually it's three to six months. So as Travis said, and I like the way he said that, all these rules are to save you and save the syndicator if something happens. So hyper cash flow, making sure that you're not forced to do anything, making sure that there's no capital calls. All these rules are just very, very conservative ways to make sure that you don't lose your money. And one last note on the etiquette cash reserves is that if you don't use this stuff, then you get it back. So if it's not used, it's not like the money just disappears or the bank just keeps it. Because <laughs> a lot of these things are required by lenders to be staying in account for a certain number of months, and then it can be distributed or used for something else. But yeah, all these things are just ways to reduce risk. And by risk, I mean losing your money. So just to quickly summarize, one, buy for cash flow, not market-driven or natural appreciation. Two, secure long-term debt so you're not forced to do anything. And then three is to have those adequate cash reserves both upfront and then on an ongoing basis. Travis, is there anything else that you want to mention before we Just we to reiterate off? how these three points came to be one more time, because I think it's important and it's a strategy I've used for years and years and years. And Theo, we talked about this, God, like when we first started this podcast, one of the first episodes, when I'm learning something new, let me give you an example unrelated to this. Let's say something I don't know much about that I'm certainly not an expert in that I want to learn. So let's say interior decorating. <laughs> it's not really my thing. So if I were to want to know what to do with a house or a room or something, what I would do is I would hire not one person and get one opinion. I'd probably hire three people and get three opinions. And I would do my own homework and due diligence and whatnot. I would end up with maybe, let's say, 10 different ideas and then I would find the commonalities. So let's say out of 10 different opinions on a living room, seven people said you really ought to paint this wall a lighter color, maybe a neutral gray or something. I'm going to take that and hone in on that. That's what these three points are, are interviews with thousands of real estate investors and finding the commonalities. How many people say buy for cash flow? be conservative in your underwriting, have adequate cash reserves. That's what these are. This isn't just one person's opinion. Here's what I think about real estate. That doesn't really matter. I think what matters is the survey of many successful people. And that's something to keep in mind and why we did this show. Other than that, anyone listening, if you guys have an idea for topics or any questions, email Theo at joefairless.com. And we're happy to implement that onto one of our shows. Yep. And then also kind of on a similar note, we're doing something even more specific, which is our 60 second question. So same, just email us topics or questions you have, and then we'll kind of decide if it makes sense to do it on this show, or if we'll do it on a 60 second question episode, which we have on the YouTube channel. Travis, thanks again for joining us. I'm glad we got to dive deep into the three immutable laws of real estate investing. Best ever listeners as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. 
Thanks, Theo. Thanks, everybody. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template.